the big minds in the Church of Scotland, one of the cleverest guys in the Church of Scotland. Uh, Gordon Reed's got Gordon Kennedy's with us. <laughs> I thought he was going to say Laura there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ian and I were relaxed. We're like, it's yeah, not yeah, us. Definitely yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not at this time. We've got the Reverend Gordon Kennedy with his Minister of Craig Lockhart in Edinburgh. And he's been a writer for this week, introducing us to all kinds of... Uh, all kinds of, what can I say? What's the ways to look at worship and reflect in worship and think about worship? And that's what we're going to be looking at tonight: the who and the how of worship. So listen, that's going to, it's going to be a great night tonight. So we're looking forward to that. Great to have you with us, Gordon. Hi, Albert. And we have with us also James Cathcart, as, as always, ready to to bring in a, some kind of sanity into the discussion when we go a wee bit haywire. <laughs> And of course, our Here by Our Doc is with us. Yes, <laughs> Ian Jimison here with us just to stir it up a wee bit, but always to bring us back to something that's got something that touches our heart and gets us thinking about what our faith's all about. And Laura Dagen among us. Again, good to have you with us, Laura. Laura, again, the, the one sound and the sane voice amongst us all. Laura Dagen. <laughs> Hey guys, uh, this has been an interesting week, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's been quite the week actually, there's lots of change. Lots yeah, lots of change and everything's changing for so many people now about this about the weekend, just how we're all going to manage, how we're going to, how we're going to cope. Uh, you feel that there's been a collective, uh, I feel that there was a collective kind of change, you know, shift in the atmosphere, mm. you know, and it, I think it's a... Uh, I think our topic actually is really a good one because you think, well, worship can help transform that atmosphere because yes. it really has been quite, you know, unsettled and oh, mm. niggly and uh, it's just, so I think the chat about worship, I think, will be uplifting for people. Uh, and of course, I think what we all need to remember too is in the midst of all this, while we're talking about, okay, the possibility of people being ill and 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 numbers going up and all that also of course unemployment people knowing they're going to maybe lose their job or their business is going to not come back again mm -hmm. uh, and so there's a whole just all, all this tension isn't it uh, in in the field of uh, of hospitality and also in amongst the arts and amongst musicians and mm -hmm. those the performers just mm -hmm. you know how they're going to be supported so these are big issues that are this overall theme that we've got this this month is uh, how do we live freedom through recession? Uh, mm. I think it's a big idea, you know, living freedom. How do we live freedom? I, th I think one one of the things that um, that that struck me about today, though, is that um, you know we all we all look at ourselves and our image of ourselves and what we do, and we think that somehow a lot of the time, at least, that our situation is in some way unique, you know. Um, and I was thinking about my situation in the health service, you know. Uh, although I complain about the busyness and the craziness of it all, at least I've got a blooming job. Mm. Do you know, when mm -hmm. all's said and done, I've got a job. Uh, I managed to bring in a wage and feed my wains and, and myself and keep a roof, a roof over my head. And if I did a different job, if I did the job that I wanted to do, I would be like my friend Matthew um, from Brown Bear and, and really be eking out a living at the moment because I was unable to play live 
um, and un unable to go into a studio and record in a meaningful way. Um, but it's not just that, you know, it's everybody in the arts, it's everybody in hospitality. Good, honest people earning a good, honest graft, you know. And, um, you know, I really, my heart goes out to these people. This is that, These are tough times mm -hmm. from that point of view. But I think what, what I'm really getting at with that is that, you know, I've had to reappraise myself when I get tired and crotchety and fed up. Um, and when patients phone in to speak to me, actually a lot of them are tired and crotchety and fed up because they've been going through this for such a long time and there's so much stress and anxiety out there that there's a kind of avalanche of mental health issues that are falling upon primary care. That That's where I work in general practice land, as well as the biggest mass vaccination campaign of a generation, as well as the unmute medical need. I could go on and on for 10 minutes solidly about all of the things that are coming down the pipe that, you know, are the truth that dare not speak its name, you know, in the country um, at the moment. But at the same, so I need to decide what shape I'm going to be to fit into that in a meaningful and worthy way. Mm -hmm. um, and and that, that's been something that's been very much in my mind this week, you know, and, and this morning, that, that, that's, you know, referring to this morning's, um, you know, prayer, that whole thing about being shaped by worship, because as people are finding their shape in the new reality, so I need to find my shape in the new reality as well, you know. I don't think, I think every one of us in Scotland and in fact in the entire world are a little bit formless now, a little bit like clay. Mm. Uh, perhaps we need some help to be moulded. Um, at least that was, that's what I've been thinking this week. Did, did anybody see... Uh, did anybody see the report yesterday about the ballet at the Royal Opera House? They were doing a performance last night. Uh, no audience, but they were going to broadcast it live from Covent Garden in London, their first ballet performance since March. And some of the, 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 the dancers were talking about, we had to learn a whole new way to dance, uh, physically distanced from one another. Mm. And the ones that had to do the... Uh, the male and the female dancers, they have to do the lifting thing. They've had to go into bubbles <laughs> and create these household groups so they could do the dancing. And the choreographers have had to work to set all these dancers free with all these constraints. Mm. And it was a combination of freedom within the constraints that just caught my, my eye as I, as I saw the thing on the news. Uh, I'm not a great ballet fan, but but that caught my eye that folks are working hard to find ways to do some amazing stuff, some amazing art, some amazing dance, even within the constraints of, of physical distancing and, and all the other things. So this kind of idea of living, living, living freedom, living freedom means also a responsibility to adhere to rules in order that other people can be free as well. You know, and I was thinking about, uh, you've been, we've been thinking about um, the children of Israel leaving Egypt and, uh, you know, the freedom they have, but also then about Moses and, and the Ten Commandments and trying to say, this is how you've got to live. If you're going to live in freedom, there's an element of which we've got to live live with some kind of responsibility and and, and care for one another. Mm -hmm. Early on in, in the lockdown, I, I was doing a recorded service and, and I can't remember what the theme was, but 
I got my son, we sat down with Monopoly board and we recorded us playing Monopoly. But every time we rolled the dice, oh, that says a seven. Oh, no, I don't want a seven. That's going to land on tax. Tell you what, I'm just going to move five because that gets me to Park Lane and I can buy that. And then we were basically no rules, just making it up as we went along. And, and it was it was such a powerful video image of you have to have rules to play a game. <laughs> you have to have rules to relate to one another and, and engage with one another positively. And, and, and it's just what you were saying there. The, the combination of freedom and constraint mm-hmm. is what makes freedom possible. I think one of the great scourges of the times that we live in is the sheer amount of choice that we have uh, in front of us all the time. You know, on the internet and on our phones and, uh, you know, in, in just about every walk, you know, you go into Tesco's supermarket to the vegetable counter and there's barely a vegetable you can't get. Mm-hmm. Um, okra, by the way, you can't get okra. But other than okra, you can completely have mopeds. I was looking for okra this week. Anyway, Poor Ian and his okra. And is that one of these things you boil? I, don't, I have absolutely no idea. But apparently you put it in a soup, and I was right going for my okra. This. Anyway, apparently yours it tastes the same, so that was fine. Anyway, I digress. What, what I'm getting at is that the, the thing is the world that we live in offers us so much choice oh, yeah. all the time that we're almost paralysed by choice. And sometimes when you constrain things down and you make decisions that are going to constrain you, you actually become much more creative. Um, in my musical life, uh, the studio that I'm recording from tonight and saying, you know, speaking to you from tonight has an almost unlimited number of tracks with which for me to play with. Um, and the software that I've got will play almost any instrument in the world, indistinguishable from the instrument itself where it recorded in front of you. I can do all, I can play at choirs and orchestras and all sorts if I want, but actually that choice means that a track is almost never finished because there's always another thing you can add. And that's absolute nonsense, you know. The Rolling Stones had, you know, eight tracks or four tracks. The Beatles had four tracks. tracks. And they expanded that to eight tracks for Sgt. Pepper, one of the most seminal albums of our time. And what they did was they, they became creative because of the restrictions that were placed upon them. Mm. And I think the other thing that occurs is, you know, how can I be free if you're not free? How is mm. that even possible? Because we're all part of this one great gestalt organism called humanity. So how can I be truly free if you're not free? Mm. That's a good question. Mm. I was just thinking there um, when you said about choice, Ian, you know, and, and, and the sense of being overwhelmed by, you know, the amount of choices that we make that in some ways it can be kind of behind that. It can almost be quite deceptive, the choice that we feel we have. Like I, I've had, I don't know if this has happened to any of you, but I've had the kind of sinister experience a few times of thinking like, oh, maybe put some music on and realizing I've already got music on. Um, which is really weird. Like, so you're like working and you're like, oh, maybe put some music on. You go to Spotify and you're listening to something. Um, and because there's this really weird way that algorithms kind of work that, so Spotify is designed to keep playing music that's kind of like music that you already like and, and all the rest of it. And so we can find ourselves being kind of funneled into certain areas where we think we've got all this choice and we think that we're just choosing all these things, but are we really just being played um, and I remember hearing, and I don't know who said it, but there's this quote that um, 
if the uh, product is free, you know, if the service is free, you're the product, basically. Um, and so, like, with all the social media and all the rest of it, it can be good, it can be bad. You know, it's not necessarily all a bad thing. It's a way of connecting people. But are we mindful sometimes that actually we are what's being harvested? You know, it's our attention. It's our time yeah. that's being produced um, through our time spent on these things. Um, and so I think, I mean, I just think absolutely what you're saying about how sometimes switching off, stopping, taking a step back, uh, having certain rules and, you know, and there's been different through the history of different genres and, you know, visual arts or music or, or writing, there's been different trends where um, artists have decided to deliberately impose certain restrictions. Um, and sometimes you get this kind of balance of excess and then a kind of severe response to that. Um, and it could be that we're kind of going through a time where um, in the short term, there's a lot of people in difficulty in the arts, but in the long term, potentially some real invigorating uh, one, for the future. One, one hopes so, actually. I mean, the, the, the thing about music, actually, generally, is that because there is an almost unlimited supply of it and it's so easy to get, you know, what value do we place on it? I was somewhat heartened by the very odd audio choice of choosing uh, records, um, and big sleeve, long sleeve records and vinyl. Um, but what I liked about that was that a lot of the money went to the artist and the album art could be appreciated and the actual thing itself could be held in the hand. Now, I, I, I grew up in a time where when an album was coming out, you would wait weeks for it and you would try to get outside the record store to go and buy that record. And man, when you listen to that record, you really listen to that record. It wasn't, hey Siri, play me something by Michael Jackson or whatever, do you know, or, you know, you know, I don't or, know. Or, so or listen, even more significantly, you, you, you log on to some, some uh, playlist and you're getting different artists and different songs Nobody listens to Sergeant Pepper from the beginning to the end anymore. I know. Nobody engages with the artist's vision that mm -hmm. they're trying to communicate through a whole suite of music anymore. Because they play a track and then they jump to somebody else and then they jump to somebody else. Mm -hmm. So the freedom to choose is actually losing something of, of the gift that the artist has crafted by, by dividing it up. So listen, what we're going to do tonight is, because we've got you as the artist, the writer with us, and you've written a whole week, so we don't want to just, you know, a, not we don't want to divide it up, we want to see how it runs. But what before we do that, I want us to th each of us to take a, this sentence, how do you worship God? But I want each of you to say it in a different way, to put an emphasis on a different word, okay? So... You know, just as a, an interest, just let's just go for it. You know, so if I start off and say, "How do you worship God, Gordon? How do you worship God? How do you worship God? How do you worship God? How worship <laughs> God? Right. Now, it's interesting. If we were to take each of those emphasis and start asking the question the you and the how, you know, because we've been walking, talking here about how we listen to music, how we played music, how we feel music, how we engage with the music, you know, and we've been having a discussion about that and about how, we, how we're living in a society where we just pick a bit and listen to it, but we don't see what the whole artist has got in mind. Do we, 
in worship, do we understand what God is really doing? The artist, the creator who made us. He, he says, I made you to worship. You know, what was that all about? Is it because, here's the question, is it because he's an artist who's saying to himself, I want you to worship me and see how great I am. I want, I want the, I want the, 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 the creation that the paint that I've created, the painting, whatever it is I've created. I wanted to shout back at me, "You're wonderful." Mm-hmm. Or is there something else going on here? So this is where I'm going to go to Gordon, the theologian, and say, to <laughs> "Right, Gordon, what's really happening in worship? Is God a megalomaniac?" Eh, uh, no. <laughs> Footnote. <laughs> <laughs> um, sometimes I think worship is is doing what God has is being and doing what and who God has made us to be and to do. So if people say to me, "The trees worship," sure they do. They grow. They they stretch out their arms. They they put leaves and fruit out. The birds of the air come and nest in them. They are doing what God created them to do. And, and, and as we look at a tree, wow, God made that tree. That is a fantastic thing, standing there, doing what God made it to do. How do I worship? I, I do the things that God made, made me to do. I, I become, I, I am, no, no, I become, no, no, score that out. I am the person. God, by his spirit, is, is, is forming me into. And, and so suddenly, if you see that, you expand worship way beyond an hour on a Sunday morning, or if you're really keen, you know, two hours or three hours or four hours or however long you want to go for. It becomes every moment of every day. And, and the when we worship together, intimately connects with, who I am and how I worship when I'm not together. So here's a question then. Do you think creation gives itself away and therefore everything it's been created has been created to give itself away and we as human beings are created to give ourselves away but in actual fact we take so much and we don't give as much as we take but if, if you think of a tree, what is a tree? The tree is not growing for itself. It's growing to nourish and sustain the, the environment or whatever else. It's giving itself away. And we could go through that with the whole of creation. Yeah. Uh, so is worship, uh, if the tree is worshipping, is worship something about giving yourself away? Well, just... It, it, We've been talking about the arts and images, and maybe this is why this thought's come into my, my mind just now. God made us in his image. I think we've misunderstood that to mean that we are really something special. And so often when I'm talking about that verse, I will say, God has made us to be his visual image. <laughs> we, we are the, the silly wee thing that God picks up and holds out before creation and goes, see, it's like this. God has made us to be visual images, the, the, the things that display his glory to all creation. And I actually think he's done that with, with all the parts of creation. 
We, we are supposed to look at what God has done in the world around us, in, in his creation, and be overwhelmed with the display of his glory. And John Calvin spoke of, of the, uh, creation as the theatre for the display of God's glory. And, and if I'm allowed to add to Calvin, I think at the end of the show, we should be up on our feet cheering and clapping and, and to use Laura's phrase, gear it loudy. <laughs> what a show! What a display of God's love and, and creative wisdom and, and generous care. How could we sit down at the end of that and go, oh, I it was okay. <laughs> and, and you can't hold it in if that's worship. Uh, you know, sometimes yeah, whenever I think, see, especially recently, see, like, especially being in church when you can't sing, you know, and I feel this, you know, it's this compulsion, you know, and you think, and it's like a, it's like a real kind of body prayer. You want to be able to, you know, express yourself with your hope because you can't express yourself with your you know with your words anymore mm -hmm. and your and mm -hmm. your music and it is it's like but but people are sitting down <laughs> and they've got masks on and like on Sunday I felt as if I'm like I just wanted to get up and go come on everybody let's just, <laughs> you know, let's just praise the Lord <laughs> Oh, and okay. it's, it's like cheering and it is God and it is, it's like we should be up on our feet like yes to, just for the, the wonder of God yeah. Yeah. Well, well let's let's keep that, that in mind, let's keep that because we want to come back to ask the question uh, I don't want to discuss just now but to actually ask the question are we doing a God disservice actually trying to do the worship that say everybody coming in with masks and sitting down and what we're trying to do on a Sunday? What is that all about? Is that worship or is there something else more sinister in the background that's going on there? I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there for you to think about. But James, how do you, how do you worship God? How did you say it? Uh, I said, how do you worship God? So <laughs> what were you doing there then? <laughs> Um, well, I mean, I suppose it, it, it does relate to um, what Gordon was just saying in terms of like, what, what even is it? But, but, but I suppose with the kind of, how, if you were using that in a normal sense, it's like, how do you, that there's, there's, you could perhaps argue there's a kind of sense of like, who are you? you know, who are you to worship? So, so maybe if I take that angle, like, who are we to worship? Who are we to come to God with our worship, with our thoughts? What can we do that can possibly be of any benefit to God how do you how how, how can we do that and, and I suppose the metaphor that springs you know most readily to mind at the moment for me is like a parent uh, because I'm a dad you know as I've talked about uh, quite a bit this is my first year as a dad and I think like the wee little things and my daughter's only eight months right but the little things she does she started vocalizing quite a bit recently and I was thinking about that Laura when you were talking about the just this desire to sing to think that it's so innate in us this desire to just vocalize and to move and and I'm sure to lots of people you know she's just caterwauling you know and it wouldn't be like you know if you were trying to get something done you're trying to focus on something but I hear you know my daughter making these noises and it's just thrilling you know like I've seen kids and kids are cute and it's sweet seeing babies sing and do stuff but when you see you know your own child doing this and so I think you know that's perhaps part of worship as well as the fact that 
our God delights in us and delights in seeing us. And there was a moment, Gordon, in your um, prayers this week where you talked about this idea of us sometimes being like distracted parents that aren't, uh, I think it was on Monday, and they created for worship and the idea that God has this childlike wonder and sometimes we get a bit distracted and we're not really paying attention or whatever. And I think like some of what's happening in worship, I think, is having that loving parent who's there and can enter into childhood um, and, and just join our glee and join our enthusiasm. So I think part of worship, part, worship isn't just like hedonism, you know, it's, it's just about having like, ooh, I'm having a great time, but there's a real delight in it, I think. Even if it's hard or it's difficult or it's sad, there's a real delight and joy in worship. Um, like the way children do stuff with so much kind of earnest enthusiasm, your children can be quite serious um, about stuff, about having a good time. So yeah, that's that's how we do worship. See, here's interesting. I was picking, wanting Gordon to say something more about this. Is you see, I actually don't think God needs our worship. God doesn't need anything from us. You see, I think God allows us to worship because it's about us. You know, when we say we're coming back to the heart of worship and it's all about you, Jesus. In actual fact, Jesus says, "No, sorry, it's all about you." Because I have made you to worship because I want you to be fulfilled. And you see, you cannot be fulfilled unless you worship. Because it's all about you. Do you understand that? And that's the point that we miss. That's the big issue. That's the theological gold nugget to hold on to. Right. Can can I come back at you there? Here's a thought. I, I know exactly what you mean. But God has chosen to enter into a relationship with us because he loves us. Now, if you're in a relationship with someone and you never get anything back, it's not a relationship anymore. And so worship is a two-way expression of that relationship which God has chosen to establish with us. So, yes, God is saying it's all about you. From his perspective, that the relationship is him loving us, him being generous to us, him being gracious to us. But from our perspective, it's all about him Mm -hmm. and our response to his generosity, his grace, his love, uh, which we, we find is not only directed to him, but suddenly, because we're in a relationship with God, we get a, a, a two-for-one deal. In fact, we get a six-and-a-half billion-for-one deal. <laughs> and we end up being in a relationship with one another. Mm-hmm. So because and then it, we yeah. get a squillion billion for one deal. Because when we're in a relationship with God, we're in a relationship with all of his creation. And I, and I think that's a beautiful idea. But if you remember how I said it was, how... Do you worship God? Like, an awful lot of people out there that, do you know what? I'm sorry to bring it down, but. Yeah, but that's his number one, isn't it? You know what? Life just ain't so good, you know? Bad yeah. things happen, yeah. and, you know what? and then other bad things happen, and then you wake up the next day, and other bad things happen, and then you do your best, and bad things happen, and it just keeps on going like that, or at least that's how you perceive it to be. Um, and for the cry of that person is, how do you worship God? The, the, like Job's, in the Bible, Job's got something to tell. The, the, the book of Job's got something to tell us about that. No, Gordon? 
what I was going to say, uh, there's a book called Say It to God, uh, Luigi Gio or, or Gio or something like that, an Italian chap, Benedictine uh, professor in, in Rome, uh, Say It to God, search the book, it's a great book on prayer. His, his first chapter is, is a, it's about the metaphor is any stick will burn. And it made me remember my dad when he had a coal fire. And maybe your dad's did the same with a coal fire. He threw anything on that that would burn. <laughs> Everything that would burn went on the fire because it would burn. And, and the guy's point is anything you say to God is prayer. And so you're having a terrible day and you go to God and say, look, this, this is not a joke anymore. <laughs> this is seriously bad. You know, I've had this, I've had this, I've had this. And there are some folks who are onto the second hand with the, 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 the things that concern them and are breaking their heart and, and the suffering and the pain they're having. Mm-hmm. And, and his point is, as soon as you say it to God, that's prayer. And we can expand that. As soon as you say it to God, that's worship. You go with your broken heart. You go with your tears. It's all worship. It's all fuel for the fire of our relationship building with God. And, um, and worship is that that dynamic. That is the fancy word that we use to describe how we connect with God. I'm awfully glad you said that. Do you know, it's weird the conversations I get in with people from time to time. But I, I was talking about that very same thing to a, a somebody. Um, and they have had just such bad time, man, and it just keeps on getting worse and worse and worse. Um, and they were like, you know, and they had all this anger. And I said, but God wants your anger. God wants to hear it, because they were talking about God and prayer and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I said, but I, I, I'm pretty sure if my understanding's right, God probably wants to hear that you're angry about this. God probably wants to hear that you're fed up with that and that you've had enough of this and you've had enough of the next thing. Maybe that's what God's for, to take that on board. If if the primary way we we think about God is someone who wants to have a relationship with us, we have a choice about what level we are going to let him establish that relationship with us. Don't you know that the, the, the minister two-step? Oh, hi, how are you doing? Fine. How are you doing? Fine. And off we go. And nobody's fine. But that's the level of relationship that we're prepared to have with somebody that we only meet every year or every other year at a General Assembly. Let's take it to the next level. Let's take it to the next level. How are you doing today? I'm pure scunner. I've had it up to here. I'm raging. See what's going on. It's You're on the next level of a relationship building exercise. You are connecting with the person you are in a relationship with in a genuine, authentic way. You know, it's an interesting point. I was just linking with you, eh, Laura, to pick up on something you were sitting in on. We were on the the book club last night with yeah. eh, Sandy Smith, mm-hmm. and one of the things was he talked about the take home about prayer. And he, remember, he talked about he said God is not a magician. Yes. Uh huh. I. And I, because that's it, it's like people, you know, as it's said, they're expecting a, 
it's like a shopping list and then they're expecting God just to, you know, deliver and then they forget about it and go on and do something else. Um, we are, that a being a magician isn't being in a relationship. It's interesting, you know, the, the, the C.S. Lewis talks about this in, in the, the magician's nephew and the whole story underneath all that is to understand prayer. And prayer is not just, it's, it's not just a straightforward shopping list. It's back to what you're talking about, Gordon and, and Ian. It's about this relationship. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think there's a question in terms of us, you know, who are involved in, in corporate worship and group worship is that why doesn't it look like that more often? You know, what, why? Because our worship stays often at a fairly like, how are you doing, God? Fine, good kind of level, doesn't it? We don't, you know, and perhaps there's an argument that we don't all need you know, huge raw outpourings every week or something. But why does our worship stay within the same kind of pen so much of the time that we don't dig into more complex stuff? I think because that's safe, that that's copable with it's it's within the parameters of our understanding. Um and but that's the big thing about when when you really meet God, you know, or when you come to that point in your life where uh, you know, you you stare into something that is you know, beyond you that you have absolutely no control over. That the road, you know, the train has well and truly left the station, and you just got to ride that train. Um, and uh, you know, I, I think that those kinds of times they, they happen quite often in people's lives, more than they might care to admit. Um, but it's at those points where you're kind of doing what Christians are always meant to do, and that's relying entirely on God. You're relying entirely on that that mercy and that relationship to carry you through something bigger than you. But when you do get carried through, there can sometimes come that sense or or there can come that sense quite unexpectedly on a walk or whatever, where you suddenly understand that it's absolutely real. This is real. This isn't fairy stories that we're telling each other. Sometimes you suddenly get that experience of the Holy Spirit. You know, I remember we way back many years ago, um, you know, Albert and I having a conversation about how do you close a, a, a service when the Holy Spirit comes in power? Do you remember that? Do you know, <laughs> that, it's just that suddenly, boom, that's that this reality of something that is entirely metaphysical and supernatural manifests itself in your life in a tangible way. And it freaks you. Uh, I'm toning my language then it freaks you out <laughs> and do you know what Ian I think um, I think in church we maybe in, in church leaders don't always give people the the space to talk about these encounters we don't always give people the resources and the tools to see that there's many different ways you know to encounter God and to mm-hmm. worship God, and that it's it's unique, you know, to every person, you know, and that's the thing, you know, it's like God knew us before we were even born, he knew just how unique each and every one of us are, so we're not all going to be able to, you know, experience God in the same way, we've all got a different relationship, and I think that can be a thing with corporate worship, as is it's like a Quite often it's a, you know, maybe a, a one size fits all or we've got a wee couple of variations and we bring them out. <laughs> but 
but actually we need to give people the opportunity and the spaces to explore and have these conversations and not feel worried or frightened or oh, they're going to think I'm off my head, you know, I'm going to, well, they're mm. going to think I'm, you know, that I'm, I'm making yeah. this up when yeah. actually it is a real encounter and to be able to, and if we could talk about this, then you've got the, the, the opportunity to help grow somebody's, you know, um, relationship with mm -hmm. God and their faith as well. And, and it opens up a whole new world. And that's where worship, you know, is then like really transforming because, but we have to be, you know, creative and allow the spirit then, you know, to, to work and see where it goes. But we have to actually have these spaces where mm -hmm. to, to talk about it and, and for people to experience God in different ways. So do you think we should have corporate worship that is much more open and fluid and, you know, maybe not this say cut off at 12 o'clock or mm -hmm. it's an hour long? Yes. Should there be a fluidity that people can, can, if they must go, they can go, but they can stay longer in God's presence? Mm -hmm. You know, is, is that what you're suggesting? Yeah, aha, uh because, -huh, you know, it's like you can say at the start, you know, we're going to be here for as long as, you know, as long as the Spirit's here with us. And if people need to go home and, like, get something to do, go home. But, but also for people to be able to feel comfortable to show emotions, you know, if they're however they're wanting to express themselves in that connection with God and not feel embarrassed or, you know, ashamed or that people think that they're foolish. But I think it has to be that, you know, worship isn't an hour, you know. We can't, we can't contain the Holy Spirit. You know, if we're inviting the Holy Spirit to come and be in our presence and, you know, sit with us and, you know, just be able to, you know, praise and and just have these encounters. We can't contain it to another. <laughs> so here's the other question, but we don't all need to be the same, I take it. No, no. I, it's I take it we don't all need to uh, be raising our hands. No. If, 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 because we're all quite different sometimes emotionally, aren't we? Yeah. So if people want to sit quietly, they can sit quietly. You know, if people want to get up and dance, they can dance. People want to, you know, wave their hands. If people want to kind of lie down, let them lie down. But if whatever people want to do, you know, that that's fine. You see, for fine. some people, even to go into that kind of atmosphere, we'd be like, that would be like the worst possible. That would be like... <laughs> hell for them but like not instead of going to worship god that that whole experience would just be like hell <laughs> but i think i mean it's partly why it's good that worship is quite an organic thing in terms of worship that's together you know that there are different types that form and and i think sometimes maybe it's about thinking are we too uptight you know and in other places maybe do we need to get a bit more of a grip you know um, because you could actually create certainly i've been in services which don't feel safe to me you know i feel like there's too much flying around here and not enough kind of responsibility or follow-through like you know, everyone's just bearing their soul and you know, so it's not like the answer, and I don't think that's at all what you uh, want, Laura, either. You know, it, it's not necessarily unrestrained, but I think, are we being self-critical enough to think, what are we missing or what are we not doing? And I was really struck by what you said, Laura, about 
the idea of articulating stuff. So actually explaining, you know, it may not be that for that hour or couple of hours or whatever on a Sunday that you are going to have that moment. You know, like Ian was saying, it might be at some other quiet, dark night of the soul that some of this stuff happens for you. But if we never talk about that on a Sunday or show the kind of stuff that's in the background, then you kind of risk, I think, an imposter syndrome where people go to church on Sunday and they think, well, my life doesn't look anything like these songs. And I don't feel anything like the people in this Bible story. And everyone's smiling and being really nice, but I'm just faking a smile. And they don't realize that lots of other people are faking a smile too, you know? And so I think we don't, I just don't think we spell things out enough. You know? I think I, I so. Know. And I, I think uh, as well that we don't always, you know, I think we can open things up for people you know, especially if we're talking about maybe subjects that are harder or we won't. But then there's, is there a space to kind of follow up? You know, mm -hmm. and it's this kind of, where you were saying about how sometimes things can, you've been in places where it feels unsafe. Aye. Well, well, is, is there, a, is there a, a place for people that, you know, to, to get, you know, to pray with somebody, to talk these things through for follow-ups? Um, because that, Worship can be so powerful that, you know, it does raise things up. And transformation in people's life doesn't just happen overnight. You know, it has got to be like a, a, it's, a it's a process. And there has to be like a, there has to be a safety net there that we can catch people whenever, you know, the Lord opens things up for them. Here's another question now then. What we're doing in Sanctuary First, online, a worshipping community, I mean, I'm becoming much more and more aware that there is a community developing now from Sanctuary First that's out there of people engaging. And what is it? What do you think is happening with Sanctuary First? One of the questions we've been asking people in the next few weeks, we're going to be promoting the new app and we're going to be promoting a giving campaign, which is going to really embrace a much wider group of people to say, you know, if, uh, if, if you feel part of this community, are you willing to, to, to support us financially in, in order that we're not just running the way we run just now on, on, on the charitable do donations from a, you know, one or two very um, willing gifters or some, some uh, foundations, charitable foundations, but what would happen if the whole community started to give? But this is now drawing into the whole area of sanctuary first coming into its own in a new way mm -hmm. and what is it that we're doing that's making I making people draw into us now i think what you're doing is you're asking questions and you're allowing yourself to be asked questions never after a sermon in my life has the the preacher or the minister ever said and has anybody got anything any questions about that like you would in every single meeting I have ever attended as a professional in my life. Mm -hmm. I have never heard the minister say, has anybody got anything they'd like to explore about that? Would, would, is there any questions you'd like to ask me? Anything I could make clearer? Never heard that done before. I'd love to hear that done in church. Let, mm. let, let me share with you an experience I had uh, as quite a young minister. I was invited to go and lead a morning and evening service uh, in a whole other town in Scotland. I'm not going to say where it was. Um, but we did the morning service. I knew one or two folks there, so that was fine. End of the service, you go to the door, you shake hands with folk. Came back for the evening service and I was saying to the, the session clerk, 
So what do I do at the end of the evening, sir? Do I go to the door again? He said, no, no. Come and sit down here at the front. We'll get you a chair and we'll bring you a cup of tea. And I said, what happens then? Well, people want to come and talk to you. I was there for 45 minutes after that service with folks in a queue coming up, picking up particular lines from a prayer or a sermon or a Bible reading that had impacted their life and saying, I want to talk to you about this. Here's what's been happening in my life during the week. And I think this is connected with what you said about that. You think I'm right. I, I was overwhelmed. Took the minister 40 years to train the congregation to respond to that unspoken invitation. I'm just going to sit here with a cup of tea mm -hmm. and you can come and ask me any question you like. There wasn't a big public intimation by the time I, I rolled up. Nobody needed to be told what was going to happen at the end of the service, except me. <laughs> but that congregation had grown together into to the kind of safe space where mm -hmm. they, nobody was going to, oh, look at them standing at queue wanting to ask a question. Mm -hmm. They trusted mm -hmm. one another and they trusted their pastor to go and ask them, have I got this right? Is that connected? How do we grow communities like that? How do we get mm. to the place where we, we can have that trust to come and talk about the things that God might be saying to us? Mm. I'm wondering if that's what part of the kind of model that we're trying to grow here in the sanctuary first, for something like that to be in giving people the opportunity after every prayer that's written to comment on it and to, you know, or after a video they've watched something, the opportunity to always comment and get back and say, and we try to get back to speak to people about it again. Yep. One of the things I've, you know, valued in our uh, worship services kind of started developing organically, but it was this idea of having more discussive discussion elements in the services and things being kind of more open-ended, like you said, Ian. And one of the things that struck me about it was it's kind of demonstrating um, almost like theology live or something, you know, like this is your hot take, right? You know, and it kind of shows that, you know, there isn't like one way to look at this passage. There isn't one thing to get out of it, which I think sometimes sermons present as if, well, this is what you should know. And if this isn't how you feel about the passage, you didn't get it right. Whereas instead, like in our services, we've had some bits where, you know, I've spent a week, you know, it might have been a theme that we, Albert, you know, we knocked together a month or so ago, and then I've been editing prayers that week. And then we've been planning a service and then somebody on Sunday says something that had not occurred to me at all, like that suddenly seems incredibly obvious, you know? Um, and so I think, yeah, that kind of interactive element. And then as well with the, the value of the internet that you have this way in which people can be together in an experience, even when they're separate. And I just wanted to, I wanted to make sure that tonight I drew attention to one of the lines that you wrote this week, Gordon, um, in your prayers, because I think it is one of the best things, it's going to embarrass you, but I think it's one of the best things we've had written for us at Sanctuary First. Um, and it was that line, got to get it right here, but on Tuesday, where you said, in love and for love, you have done marvelous, marvelous things, not only some things, but all that is needed, um, which is just so beautiful and so simple and just resounds with me. And the fact that people all over Scotland and all over the world were reading that at about the same time, um, within a few hours apart. I think it's just a wonderful thing and a wonderful way of looking at worship as a as a shared experience, even mm -hmm. if you're not with one another. Mm -hmm.
Yeah. I was talking to um, uh, my friend George today, no George, that was one of the other weeks, and he had said actually that this format is like, this is something that, because see, to be able to hear what people thought of your writing, you know, he's like, that is such a blessing, and to be able to have a discussion around it, and like all these different, you know, he's like, that's such a blessing, and actually it would like benefit like all ministers, all student ministers should have this, <laughs> you know, actually I think maybe all ministers should have this opportunity as well, but it's, you know, I think a community, you know, uh, you can't force it, but I think whenever people start to see that there's, there's respect, you know, and mm. that it's okay to be vulnerable, and that's when the trust starts, and that it's okay to ask the, the daft questions, you know, and I, I don't understand it, and actually we don't have all the answers, but that we can have these respectful, you know, discussions, and mm. that is how, you know, a group can build, you know, a community can build and trust. Oh, how cool. Mm-hmm. I, I think one of the things that Sanctuary First is teaching us uh, that we should always have known, and perhaps also this lockdown period, that community doesn't happen only in one way. Mm-hmm. And it looks different. And the same person can be in a number of different communities that look different, that function different, but still have that relational element, which is at the heart of Mm -hmm. a good community. And since the gospel is about God in relationship with himself and the Trinity, God in relationship with us in, in, in Jesus, why should the gospel not also be about us in relationship with one another? Indeed, it must be. Mm -hmm. And and finding those different relationships, those different networks and and communities in in which we can express that relationship is worship. But there's that spark of the divine in all of us, isn't there? I mean, that's what (laughs) links us all together, you know? Not to get too Yoda about it. But 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 it's true you know it's that thing that just binds us together um that that shared humanity and that shared humanity in in christ i think is the you know is the kind of rock that underpins these things and i think Mm. think when you plug into that that's to me that that's worship it's when you actually plug into that and and you have that two-way flow um and you're in flow it's that that's when you know you know that's when you know you're you're doing what you were created to do. There, there is actually nothing more wonderful than that, in my opinion, is doing what you were created to do. And that may just be love, loving another person or talking with another person or saying the right thing as a minister mm-hmm. or writing the right thing. And there's been some lovely things written this week, um, Gordon, so thanks for, for that. But, you know, I think that that's what's that's what binds us you know in sanctuary first i think in all of the, the its various faces you know in its poetry face and it's in its book club face and its jam session face there's that spirit of the divine in all of that and it's lovely i i think it's quite amazing to see all these these little chinks you know of of what's a whole like the jigsaw you spoke about yeah you know? today yeah see the mm-hmm. jigsaw being filled in 
Um, and I think that's a community, at least for, for, you know, for me, from my spectrum, that's how it looks. I mean, it's a lovely community that we need to reach across. I was just listening to the jam session this evening while, uh, when I was making the tea and uh, Peter uh, shares a wee bit about himself. Peter mm. is uh, coming out of the, the, a recovering community and he, he wrote a, a, a lovely song. But yesterday was his first day being completely uh, not dependent on, on, on any, on any uh, supportive drug. Uh, and he was a bit shaky, but it, it was after 10 years, it was such a move to, and he came on to sing a song about just uh, that he had written about all that. And it's just mm. quite moving, this kind of yeah. openness that's really um, being shared. And if people have a chance, uh, that jam session that Jim, that Jim does in a, in a, on a Friday afternoon is very precious. Mm -hmm. Some really interesting things going on there, and it's opening up to all different kinds of people. I'm hoping some of them, some of our our community, will start sharing in worship eh, on a Sunday, and we're hoping that they might do something at Christmas as well, eh, but the Christmas a Christmas carol service with the the, the musicians from the jam session. That'd be great, wouldn't it? Oh Why? yes. Why? Mm -hmm. And I think but it's definitely working there because that um it's and it's the it's the fact that I think people are coming on with, with real honest hearts and they're not hiding anything, you know, and it's this what you were saying, Gordon, earlier on about, you know, being able to be yourself, you know, that is, you know, worship, you know, being yourself. And uh, I think that that's something that's that, that that's captured in that uh, weekly jam, you know, it's, it's mm. so beautiful. Can I just say, Gordon, I thought your titles this week were wonderful titles. You could almost write a book on these chapters, brought out to worship. You know, where has God brought you out from? Where has he saved you? Where has he redeemed you from? Where has he, where has he brought you out from to put you somewhere to worship? Created for worship, you know, this is why you were made to worship. And then this, which you've already touched on, loved into worship, which was just such a beautiful That's kind of beautiful. idea that is there, uh, restored for worship. So even when we're broken and, and he allows, he picks us up and, and we can still be used. And then called to worship, a call. You know, it's um, everyone's welcome, come. And they shape by worship. Wow, these are great titles. And uh, your your writing is exceptional, Gordon. Like, I've, I was like in like absolute awe this week because I'm thinking, oh, this raises the bar, you know. Absolutely. <laughs> like, 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 oh, this raises the bar. But your 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 la your use of language and you know the the imagery is so rich and descriptive. And oh, I it was I was just. I was, as well as like, you know, worshipping as I was like reading, I was just like, oh, just dwelling in the language, you know, and uh, like I studied English years ago, so to me it was just like, oh, this is just wonderful, <laughs> beautiful, so thank you, thank you for that opportunity to experience your work. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. It was great having the um, longer, much more poetic prayers 
Um, a lot of our writers recently, including myself, have often tended towards the kind of mini blog kind of format, which is great and you can get really stuck into things, but it's, but it's a lovely to have that, as you say, Laura, the real appreciation of the language. And it was on that same day, I think, Loved Into Worship, where I, I said this to you before, Gordon, but you had the line, when your hand reaches out to take hold of your making, to take hold of our lives. And I was just so sort of struck by the word making, you know, you could have said like, uh, by your created, you know, to take hold of your created or your made or something, but of your making just sounds so much more evocative. Um, so it's that kind of care over word choice, which really makes a difference. But I, mm. I think I think the most powerful thing about that, though, is that when, you know, sometimes when people, um, you know, turn to sanctuary first, they open, they open their prayer in the morning, they need that prayer. They don't themselves have the words to pray. Mm. Uh, and sometimes a longer prayer, Gordon, like the ones that you've written uh, this week, gives them the voice, mm. say the words that they want to say, mm. uh, but can't say because really they're blocked in some way. Yeah. Uh, and it really unblocks. I found myself once this week, actually, in the middle of the week, I, I wish I could remember what prayer it was. It was, was it, was it shaped? No, no, shaped was this morning. Is it loved into prayer? Loved into worship? Hang on, was it called? Wait a second. There was, I'm just trying to try, yeah, it might have been called, actually. But what, anyway, the, regardless, my, my point is that what I loved about it was that I kind of prayed it halfway down and then I kind of stopped and then I kind of started again and did it again. And do you know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. it had different kind of meanings and connotations for me mm -hmm. just because of the things that were happening round about me at that time, you know? And I think the Holy Spirit certainly has, has a way of doing that um, through what comes out of Sanctuary First and other resources, obviously. Um, but it comes out of that and, and you find yourself you know, almost moulding round um, what's been given. And that's where the, I think the long form prayer, which is not something I do, I'm very much kind of short form, at least I think I am, I may not be. You um, do a mix, Ian. I, I do a mix, yeah. yeah. You do a mix. Um, but, you know, that that, that whole thing, um, you know, it, you, you can actually let that unfold you. And by the time the prayer is over, you're right with God. Mm. You know I mean? And that's a great thing, man. Mm. Let me offer two thoughts. Um, if if a hymn writer didn't take care over the words, over the did the line scan, did it did it fit the tune? We wouldn't sing that hymn. We wouldn't use it again. And so taking care over things is is about respect mm. for who we're offering the prayer to. Um, and, and how we help others engage. But actually what, what we've been saying um, earlier in our conversation, we were talking very much about the immediate in worship, the, 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 the immediate experience and the words that come bubbling up just at the moment. But then in the last minute or two, what you've been articulating is, is uh, a real engagement with the riches of, of church history because I mean, these prayers were written before the 21st of September. Mm -hmm. I had no idea what Nicola was going to say this week about extending lockdown or anything. And, and so if, if these prayers have in any way fit in with that circumstance, it's because God knew about it three weeks ago. 
And, and I love the thought that we could turn up and do a service which is entirely composed of a thousand year old prayers, two thousand year old Bible readings, and and it, and the spirit who gave it to those folks thousands of years ago mm. is the same spirit who 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 enlivens the words today for us, mm -hmm. and so that combination of the immediate bubbling up in worship and we can actually use something that the church has gifted us uh, and that the spirit has been at work in weeks, months, generations before mm. and, and find God present there relating to us in worship. What I like about Sanctuary First and what you're saying there too and what I'm learning is people ask me about the ecclesiology of Sanctuary First and part of the ecclesiology is kingdom. It's universal. It's about, it's not, people say, you know, we talk about how the church needs to be local. The church needs to be universal. When we worship, we worship with all the saints, with all, it's not local. It's, it's, it's universal. It's, it, it's kingdom. Mm -hmm. And in some way, Sanctuary First and the internet and an online church is beginning to draw people from all over the world to come to worship. And that's almost like a symbol, a parable of what the great internet of, of God's internet kingdom is all about. Where everyone from all the ages, with all the heavenly hosts, with all, we glorify. And that's why communion online ends up being much more powerful mm -hmm parabolically about what it means as, a, as an allegory of what the, the real kingdom and what the real table of the Lord is all about. That it's a, an eschatological event. So, wow, you know, we're pulled into a whole new area. But what's actually first is teaching me is a, to understand the importance of an ecclesiology that is not just local, but has a universality about it. To put it in layman terms, you know that bit in Star Wars, right? The last movie. The last movie wasn't very good, right? I'll give you that. But in the very last scene in the last movie, what you've got is you've got the bad Jedi, right? And the good Jedi. But the bad Jedi is kind of surrounded with this dark music and there's loads. Every bad Jedi that ever there was, you can see it in the background, right? But then the good Jedi comes up with his lightsaber, right? And he's actually surrounded by every good Jedi that ever there was. And there's this battle between good and evil, and, and good extinguishes evil. So, sorry, I just thought I'd bring the tone down ever so slightly. No, no. I don't understand what's <laughs> like eschatological. It's all right, it's not the end of the world. But where do, you think, where do you think people get that idea? It comes out of this, it comes out of the very nature of what mm -hmm. God is going to do at all time. It, even stories themselves, even the, the way we tell stories, that there's only one ending. There's only going to be one ending. Albert, I think both what, what Ian's just been saying and what you've been saying connects to a question you kind of threw out earlier and said, I don't want you to answer it now. Um, you know, what are we doing when we bring people back together under lockdown conditions? I remember I was six weeks into ministry and I met a lady who'd been on the vacancy committee and I asked her, 
what did you enjoy about being in the vacancy committee? And she said, oh, it was amazing. It's absolutely amazing, she said. I've been in the Church of Scotland all my life. I never knew that you had different orders of service in different congregations. She never knew. She'd only ever been in the one church. So sanction first, the way you're working, bringing different people together for Sunday services, for midweek eh, worship, eh, prayer times, and all sorts of things, is, is exploding the vision of the different ways that people can express worship. And, and that's what I think we're being challenged to learn in this lockdown season as we start coming back together. You can't do the order of service you had in February. <laughs> you can't have five hymns, two choir anthems, and all the rest of it. So what are you going to fill that time up with? What are you actually going to do when you come together that is meaningfully worship? And that's where the riches of, of the church Catholic, the church universal, uh, yeah. really impacts in the local. Because the, those of us leading worship are having to go outside of our tradition to go, what do I do? <laughs> How do I do this when I don't have all these hymns? When I don't have all this, I can't do responsive psalms. What can I do? And suddenly we're, we're learning exciting new ways of experiencing the presence of God together in worship. Well, listen, guys, you know, it's now five past ten. We have been talking for an hour. Can you believe that? Yeah. It's been a wonderful experience together. We started off with this, the how and the who and the you of worship. And it's taken us on this journey. And a huge thank you to you, Gordon Kennedy, for your help this week in Sanctuary First. You are no part of our, our, our family, our, our community, so it's not as though you're a stranger. You've been writing with us now for a number of years, and I know that you, you use Sanctuary First regularly yourself, but it's great to have this community that we're building up, and we need to be praying, praying for one another, encouraging one mm. another. We're going to be, can I just give you a heads up, those who are interested in prayer, on October the 19th at 7 o'clock, from 7 to 7.30, we're going to have a prayer meeting, our first Sanctuary First online prayer meeting, where we're going to be praying for the work of Sanctuary First. We felt this is something we should do. So we're going to do it on Monday the 19th and also Monday the 26th. And it's part of our praying that God would bless the work, that God would inspire and also supply our needs. So we're going to have a prayer meeting. So again, if people want to be part of that, that's just, a, a, I'm giving you upfront notice, even before it goes out on social media, you're always here, wee snippets, new and exciting. <laughs> if you really want to know what's going on, you've got to be at the weekly review. You've got to be at the weekly <laughs> review. You've got to be at the exactly. weekly review. This exactly. is where the hot drops happen. <laughs> where else would you get eschatological after 10 o'clock at night? Absolutely. <laughs> Listen, who's, who's, who's the writer coming up next week? It's Val Hindmarsh. Oh, Val, um, Val Hindmarsh, great. Val Hindmarsh, absolutely. Val's worth good. Val's really worth a, a good value, and it'll be interesting. Hopefully, we'll be able to get Val on 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 the the weekly review next week. So that'll be great as well. So I'm, I'm going to be off for two weeks. I'm afraid. I've, oh, I've pulled oh, one calls two fights in a row. So oh, we're going to miss you, Ian. Oh dear. Oh, yeah, that's, a bombshell, that's a bombshell, Ian. That's a bombshell. That's a bombshell. 
can't you send a replacement? Can I know? Can you send in Colin? Could you send Colin in? Yeah, yeah. Or, or I could, I could broadcast from the jail if you want. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, it's Ian at Kilmarnock Prison. How are you? <laughs> Why don't you send Colin in to sit in? We, I think we could, we could certainly throw him an invite. I think he might bite. So yeah, he might bite because I think he would be good. You're a deputy. You're yeah. Deputy. Oh, no, he's not a deputy. No way. <laughs> no he way. Might, uh, can I tell you, if Colin comes in, Ian might find he's lost his place. <laughs> It's very highly likely, actually. Yeah. He's kind of the Mark II version of me. He's just a little bit upgraded, a little bit improved. Some people love, but you know what? Some people love their first iPhone. <laughs> I love that, Ian. Listen, guys, can I just thank you so much for being with us tonight? It's such a blessing. I've just been encouraged and uplifted just this hour. Just you've uplifted us. Thank you. And uh, Sunday, looking forward to... Uh, Laura and uh, Linda are, are leading us in worship on Sunday. Yes. Uh, 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 and yes. it's a, what's the theme Sunday? It's a uh, no recession in love. Right. No recession in love. And uh, we will have, um, we're, 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 it's more, yeah, it's quite a reflective service. Um, and we will also have, if people are looking for some prayer afterwards, we'll, we'll, we'll post how that they can come into a breakout room uh, afterwards and receive some prayer. Um, but it's uh, it's not, it's it's reflective, but there's humour in it as well. So it's... Yeah, uh, I hear that. I'm good. I'll, get, I'll get the picture to you. Okay, so Andy and Gordon, you will be. When are you starting your book club? Do you want to just say a wee bit about it while we've got you here? Well, uh, I'm hoping, but still not certain, to be starting uh, a monthly book club at the end of the month. But it might slip to the next month. Okay, we've been working on the uh, yeah. on, on that so on a we... second book club. But it's, right, it's... yeah, see. so uh, watch keep, this keep... space. Watch, watch this, this space. space. Yeah, I, th I think it'll be quite cool. So until next Friday night in the Friday Night Review, a big thank you to Ray Manger for being a techie behind the behind the scenes. Thanks, hey, thank Ray. you, Ray, for being with us tonight. Ray. And uh, uh, until next Friday night, have a great weekend. I think it's going to be good on Sunday. The weather's not supposedly good in Scotland tomorrow, but I think it's going to be better. I think it's better in California. Maybe the Albert, it's Scotland and it's October. <laughs> what are you talking about good weather? Well, but the weather will be good in Tanzania, I'm telling you. <laughs> Until next week, God bless. See you. See you now. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.